Yes, let's declare that this 2021. When all I see is a mountain, you see a mountain. Amen. And as I walk through the shadow, your love surrounds me. Let's surround us with your presence, Lord. There's nothing to fear now.
Cause I count on one thing The same God that never fails Will not fail me now You won't fail me now In the waiting The same God is never late Is working all things out You're working all Can we declare this? Oh yes I will Lift you high in the lowest valley. Yes, I will bless your name. Oh, yes, I will sing for joy when my heart is heavy all my days. Oh, yes, I will. Amen. fails will not fail me now you won't fail me now in the waiting yes the same God has never laid is working all things out you're working all things out oh yes I will lift you high in the lowest valley yes I spoke a word you were singing over me 
so much so that our Lord would walk right headfirst into the danger of the cross out of his love to save those that are lost 
And in his word, it says, for his unfailing love for us is powerful. The Lord's faithfulness endures forever. Praise the Lord. Let's cling to these words in 2021 and years to come. And know that through the danger, through the storms, the love and the promise of our God will prevail. And we can say, great is your faithfulness, so God. So we worship you, Lord. We stand in the midst of your presence. We cling to your promise. No matter how much things change, you are true. You are good through it all. You're the same God today as years past and years to come. Yes. God of Abraham, you're the God of covenant, of faithful promises. Time and time again, you have proven you do just what you say. Though the storms may come and the winds may blow, I'll remain steadfast. And let my heart learn when you speak a word, it will come to pass. We declare this to Him. This is your faithfulness to me. Great is your faithfulness.
Father God, your faithfulness to us has been and will be great. And we praise you and we thank you. You are our rock. You are the solid ground beneath our feet. You are the one who sustains our souls. And we worship you. We praise you. We thank you for your faithfulness in this past year. God, we thank you that we can rest in your promise going forward. This morning, God, we come to you because you've taught us that we are a kingdom of priests. And so we pray and intercede for our land, God. We ask for healing from this virus. God, we ask for healing from this strife and turmoil. Father, we pray that you would grant us peace and healing, Lord. That you would set us free and deliver us in our hearts as well as our bodies. We pray for that. God, we remember those who are struggling with sickness. We ask your healing on them. We think of those businesses that are struggling. God, we pray your blessing. Father, we thank you for hearing us when we pray these things. And we rejoice that there's coming a new year like any, unlike any other that will last forever when we go home. Thank you, Jesus for what you have done for us. We praise you this morning in Jesus' name, amen. It's great to see you this morning, friends. Welcome to Second Service at MRCC. Would you make sure that everybody around you feels welcome? Would you take just a moment and say hi to do that? team and uh, church it's great to see you this morning happy new year it, it's got to be better than last year amen somebody say amen. it's got to be welcome to 2021 they told us we'd be living on the moon by now but we're not there uh, but it is it is good to see you it's great to be with you and to everybody online it's terrific to be with you we are looking forward to the moment when we're together in body as well as spirit but we're thrilled that you can worship with us this morning also uh, church, my heart is full. Um, can I invite you to, along with me, appreciate a, a huge crowd? About, about 60 people showed up yesterday despite the rain and the terrible weather and completely took down all the Christmas lights and Christmas decorations. Can we just appreciate everybody who spent the day in the rain yesterday? Yeah, that was a big deal. 
we were a little worried that, uh, you know, folks weren't going to come out and brave the rain. We should have known better. This is Enumclaw. We're just lucky they wore pants. So it was, uh, it was a great day. Thank you to everybody who came down and, uh, and helped us out. Huge help yesterday. We got the whole thing put away in about two and a half hours. It's just, just amazing. So looking forward to next year. You know, every single day when I leave the office during that Christmas season, there's folks in our parking lot, sometimes a lot of them watching those Christmas lights. It's a pretty neat thing that uh, that team of Rich and Jason and Levi and all the rest lead us in, Henry uh, and everyone. So huge appreciation. And then as well, you know, while a lot of us were enjoying the holidays, there was a group of about five guys who came down here and spent all of last week completely remodeling the children's church room down the hall. And they all donated time. Can we just appreciate them for all that they have done? Huge amount of work. Uh, Rich and Brian and the whole, whole gang of folks. So huge appreciation and thanks uh, to them for that. It matters so much. And, and thanks to so many of you who, uh, who blessed Ron and I had Christmas cards and more cookies than we could ever possibly eat in a million years. Uh, thank you for uh, being so generous with us. I'm, I'm pretty overwhelmed uh, by that, uh, that so many of you thought of us personally and, and also many of us on the, on the pastor's team. So appreciate that. Thank you for that. Um, as we get ready to go forward, friends, uh, next, starting next week, uh, God's laid on my heart um, a teaching series um, built around a promise that Jesus gave us that I know is the right uh, message series for this time. Jesus gave us a promise in Matthew chapter 11. Here's what he said. You, you may be familiar with it. He said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. I won't ask for show of hands. Every week, I sit with folks who are just tired of this, you know, and, and struggling in their families and struggling in their hearts and their spirits. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And you know what? When your soul is at rest, you can overcome anything. And, and starting next week, um, God wants to walk us. The Spirit of God wants to walk us through a season of, of learning what it means to take his yoke upon you uh, on a Monday, a Tuesday, a Wednesday. And how to find that rest for your soul that makes the other stuff, you know, stuff that you know you can overcome. Uh, so we're going to start that next week. But this week, God has laid on my heart something uh, a little different, a little bit of a reminder, because we talked about this back in April. But grab your Bible, if you would, and open it to Romans chapter 14. And while you're doing that, huge congratulations to Frank and Beverly and to Lisa and Bobby, who got married uh, this last week. So pretty cool celebration with them. Yep, 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 yep. Christmas uh, and New Year's weddings, neat stuff. You know, now that I say that, I, I think I'm realizing that both of them are in third service, so you don't even care. But there it is. Uh, we're, we're celebrating uh, their, their marriages, their weddings. Romans chapter 14, beginning with verse 1. And let me ask you this. Have you, ever had, have you ever had a really bad argument with your spouse? Or maybe your best friend. Again, not a show of hands on this one, please. But, you know... A really bad argument, you know, one of those ones that kind of goes deep and then, and then lingers a little bit. Uh, all of us have experienced that at one time or another. 
A couple was driving down a country road one Saturday afternoon in a rainstorm after having had one of those fights right in the car. And they got to the point where neither of them was saying a word. The argument had ended in mutual silence and nobody was willing to be the first one to speak. Both of them were still pretty angry. And as they passed a, a muddy barnyard in the country full of filthy cows because of the rain and the storm, the husband asked sarcastically, relatives of yours? And his wife, without missing a beat, said, yes, actually, in-laws, all of them, which is the right way to answer that question. But have you ever had an argument like that? I mean, we all have. We've all been there. Ron and I had one on our fifth anniversary that I am not proud of, okay? It was my fault. And uh, what happened was I was still in college at the time and uh, playing on the soccer team. And our team had a game in another state down in Salem, Oregon. And it happened to be right on our anniversary. And, you know, our custom was that we would pile into a couple of vans and drive up to Canada, over to Oregon, Montana, wherever we were playing. And um, on this particular date, it would have been a non-issue if I had gone to my coach and said, hey, it's our fifth anniversary today. You know, is it all right if I ride to the game with my wife? And I'm sure he wouldn't have argued at all. But I didn't. Instead, I, I convinced myself that I had this solemn responsibility because I was the team captain and I needed to ride with the team on game day. And then I made my wife aware of my decision and um, she disagreed with my decision. Now, to, to her credit and to my shame, to this day I can see in my mind's eye the vans full of players going down I-5 and my wife following behind alone in her car, uh, both to and from the game. I'm not proud of that moment. Right? But, but understand what was happening, friends, is that, that I, I felt like I had a certain responsibility as the team captain, and I did. But I had lost track. I had lost my awareness of a much bigger responsibility. And, and, and that day, I learned that you can be both right and wrong at the same time. You know, I did it from one angle, from good motives, but from another angle, from absolute stupidity. And it's possible to be both right and wrong at the same time. You know... Sometimes those kinds of arguments can damage deeply or even destroy marriages. And sometimes those kinds of arguments can damage or destroy friendships. And sometimes those kinds of things can, can interrupt and, and wreck the fellowship that exists between believers. And because of that, God wants to talk to us this morning about how we handle those times of disagreements. Dear friends, in this time we're living through when everyone is tired and angry and feeling frustrated and sad, it's easy to forget that the real battle that's going on around us is a spiritual one, not an earthly one. That the real battle that's happening around us in this season is the devil seeking to damage or destroy the body of Christ. That's always his agenda. It's Jesus himself that was the target in his day of the enemy. 
he didn't arrange to throw down the government or to deal with the temple priests or anybody else. His target was the body of Christ in the same way. That's his target in our days. We as a church have been deeply blessed in that we have been able to avoid almost all of that. But God wants to talk to us about how we handle disagreements between believers. You know, Pastor Darius was sharing with us this week about his visit to the post office last week. And if you know Pastor Darius, this story won't surprise you at all, but he, he goes to the post office to mail a bunch of Christmas stuff. And, and when he walks in, our little post office here in Edomclaw, when he walks in, he walks in on two older guys having a, an argument, a serious argument, because one of them's wearing a mask and one of them's not, and they're letting each other know about it. And Darius, being dumb as a rock, when he walked into the post office, he said to himself, hey, I'll be the peacemaker in this situation. And so he walked right into the middle of it and with the best of intentions, with a sweetheart. And of course, in another five minutes, they're both mad at him. And then the uh, post office manager throws all three of them out of the post office. And... Uh, no good deed goes unpunished, right? You know, When Darius told me that story, I said, it, you bring to mind a quote from Shakespeare. He said, what's that? I said, fools rush in where angels fear to tread. <laughs> but church, the reality is, even among believers, there can be serious disagreements. And God takes a significant amount of time in his word to talk about. In fact, two whole chapters of your Bible, Romans chapter 14, 1 Corinthians 8, are completely focused on how we handle those kinds of moments. So before we start our journey next week that I'm very much looking forward to, God wants to talk to us about how we handle those things. Because here's the truth, friends. Our Lord calls us to put our devotion to him and our love for one another above every lesser thing in our lives. To put our devotion to him and our love for one another above every lesser thing in life. If I'd have been wise, I would have said to my coach, it's my anniversary, I need to ride with my wife. And he just said, sure, of course you do, absolutely you do. But instead, I focused on the lesser thing and carry that embarrassment to this day. Romans chapter 14 talks to us about this kind of thing. Let's, let's listen to what the Bible says beginning with verse one. Scripture says this, accept him whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. Now, there's a host of concepts there we're going to break down and understand in a moment. But first of all, notice God says accept, not tolerate, not don't bother, but accept him whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. Here's why Paul is saying this. One man's faith allows him to eat everything, but another man whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. What's this got to do with anything? We're going to break it down in a moment. The man who eats everything must not look down on him who does not. And the man who doesn't eat everything must not condemn the man who does. For God has, and here's that word again, accepted him. For God has accepted him. Now, let me help you understand the background that gives rise to this talk of eating meat and eating vegetables, missing out on one or the other. 
In those days, when you went to buy meat to put on your family table, you would go to the marketplace in the center of the village or town or city where you lived, and there would be a meat market. And the meat sold there would have been brought into town by farmers from outside of town. And the first thing they did when they brought it to town was go to the various temples in town and offer the meat in thanks to their gods or at the Jewish temple to the one true God, thanking him for what they'd received, asking the blessing of their gods or the one true God on the meat. A little portion would be donated to the priest and then the rest would be taken down and sold in the meat market. Simple system, but here's the problem that it created in the early church. Some believers said to themselves and to each other, hey, this meat has been dedicated to a false god, Apollos, or one of the Greek gods, or you know, one of the Roman gods, or one of the Turkish gods, one of the Mesopotamian gods. This meat has been sacrificed to a false god, to a false religion. And because of our concern for the truth, because of our concern for the reality of our faith, we're not going to eat that meat. We will go out of our way to try and eat the meat that was only offered at the temple, but most of the time we're not going to be able to tell the difference, so we're just, we're just not going to eat meat sold in the marketplace. If we raise it ourselves, we will, but we don't want to eat meat sacrificed to other gods. It's easy to understand where people were coming from. Uh, we can even feel that across this distance. They were wanting to be faithful to God, but at the same time, there were many other people who said, hey, because of our Christian faith, we've learned that those other gods aren't real. We've learned that they're false. They're not there. And we've learned that the more important thing is the gospel message of the one true God of his grace to Jew and Gentile alike. So, so we're not going to worry about eating the meat. It's not important. And they were motivated by things like Peter's great vision in Acts chapter 10 when God abolished Jewish dietary restrictions and said you can eat whatever kind of meat now under the new covenant. They were motivated by Jesus' saying things like, it's not what goes into a man that makes him unclean, it's what comes out of him. And so they said, you know what, we're just not going to worry about the meat. It's just food. We're going to eat it and not be concerned about it. And very quickly, there came to be great tension between these two groups of people who felt differently. It's that tension that the Apostle Paul is addressing here. And it's easy to understand how the different sides felt. You know, some looked back to when Israel was in exile in Babylon and how Daniel and, and the faithful Jews refused to eat the king's food and said, we'll just eat vegetables and we'll be blessed and God will be with us in it. And they said, we want to be like that. Others said, hey, what Jesus has done sets us free. We don't have to be concerned about things like that because we're walking in a bigger reality now. And they said it's so important for us that we fellowship with Gentiles so we can share this truth with them that we're just going to overlook the whole meat thing because it's, it's not important. And there came to be this tension, very real tension. It's not hard to understand. I remember 20 years ago when uh, Walt Disney Corporation began to change their ethical standards and there was a great uh, furor in the church, in God's church, about whether people should watch Disney movies since now Disney was promoting things that we didn't agree with. 
And there was a very real tension between people about these kinds of issues. This is something like that. But what Paul is saying to us, what God is saying to us, is that Christ followers learn how to be good more than right. Let me talk about that with you for a moment. You know, even after 36 years, Ron and I have things we disagree about. You know, how to fold towels, how to load the dishwasher, when and what to feed the dog. And, and we sometimes have more serious disagreements, like how we should handle it when a business takes advantage of us or, or we're mistreated in some way. But we love each other so much that that love always overshadows whatever we're disagreeing about. Always. And every time we run into those kinds of issues, we're able to look past them. That's what God is calling us to do here in Romans chapter 14. Look at verse 1 again. Accept him whose faith is weak without passing any judgment about disputable matters, about your disagreements. Uh, friends, without passing judgment means much more than tolerating or not bothering it means in our hearts, in the inside of us, we don't judge each other for our different feelings on what were called disputable matters. The idea is that we embrace each other despite differences. And, and look closely at verse 3. Neither side must look down on the other. Neither side must consider the other to be less. And, and then Paul says, who are you to judge someone else's servant? Verse 7. And in verses 5 and 6, he goes on to say, One man considers one day more sacred than another, but another man considers every day alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. He who regards one day as special does so to the Lord. He who eats meat eats to the Lord and because he gives thanks to God. He who abstains from eating meat, he does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. In other words, church, grasp this. This is grown-up stuff. Something can be right for one person and wrong for another that's the reality that God's word is teaching us. Now, this has to do with what we call disputable matters. It doesn't have to do with basic issues of morality. We're not talking about violence or, 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 or lust or, or cheating in business or lying or, or any of that kind of stuff. Those are not disputable matters. But everything else is. And when it comes to disputable matters, God says to us, understand that something can be right for one person and wrong for another. Let me give you a dumb little example, okay? All my Christian life, because I used to be so focused on exercising and working out when I was young, all my Christian life I've had a little habit that I keep to this day, and that is that I won't deliberately exercise on Sunday. I don't run, I don't go to the gym, I don't do all of the things that I, I love to do during the week, I just won't do it. Now, I know I don't have to, but I choose to do that as a way of reverencing God, as a way of honoring the Sabbath. That's just my choice. Now, does that mean that I think less of anybody who chooses to make Sunday their main workout day? Of course not. If that's your day, hallelujah, glory to God, good for you. It's a disputable matter, and there's room for us to approach it differently. We must grasp this as believers. Because this is what God calls us to. Either position can be spiritual and reverent. Notice that Paul says the man who eats meat eats to the Lord. The man who doesn't eat meat eats to the Lord. He does so to the Lord. And, and having, leaving the space for one another is what God calls us to as family. 
And it's crucial to defeating the devil in this season as he endeavors to attack the body of Christ. Now, now understand, friends, don't, don't be mistaken. There is a technically correct answer to all of these questions about me and so on. Paul writes about it in verse 14 of chapter 14. He says, as one who is in the Lord Jesus, I'm fully convinced no food is unclean in itself. Paul says, I got no problem with eating meat. Over in 1 Corinthians 8, he elaborates. He says, so then about eating food sacrificed to idols, we know that an idol is nothing and that there is no God but one. But he says, not everyone knows this or understands this. Some people are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat such food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to an idol. And since their consciences are weak or tender, it is defiled. And then he says, but food doesn't bring us near to God. We're no worse if we don't eat and no better if we do. So there is a technically correct answer. But Paul says, that's not the last word. He says, the last word is my concern for my brother and sister who may feel differently. He says, that's what makes us good as opposed to just being right. Or to put it another way, God is less concerned over whether you and I are right than over whether we accept our brothers and sisters in our disagreements. So in verses 17 and 18 of chapter 14 of Romans, Paul says, therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block in your brother's way. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking or of having the right answer to those things, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God. Sometimes we think we're most pleasing to God when we're right about everything. God says, nope, nope. We're most pleasing to God when we think first of our brother or sister and how they feel about whatever issue we disagree with. About. So, in other words, if, if we want to please God, do two things. One is leave room for disagreements, and then the other one is accept each other, even in spite of those disagreements. And, and this reality can get downright political. The Pharisees and the Sadducees in Jesus' day, they tried to trap him. <laughs> they wanted to divide his followers. And so they came to him with specially prepared and targeted questions. It's the same thing we see in politics today. And they came to Jesus and they said, Jesus, what do you say? Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Now they knew that half of those following him were sure it wasn't and the other half didn't care. And they hoped to drive a wedge. Jesus answered beautifully. He said, show me a coin. They did. He said, whose portrait is on it? They said, that's Caesar's. He says, then give to Caesar what is Caesar's. In other words, pay the taxes. But then he said, give to God what is God's. In other words, Give your heart, your soul, your spirit to the Father so much so that you aren't concerned or obsessed over these lesser things. And in so doing, he prevented his followers from being divided because they understood there was room for them on either side of the issue. Church, this is a big deal. This goes on in all of our lives all the time. And, and, and the Bible doesn't stop there in telling us to accept one another. It goes a step further. It says that we who are strong, we who understand the issues more deeply than others, we are especially to defer to those who don't. That's a big deal. We're to defer to what the scripture calls the weaker brother. To put this another way, when you're right about something that your fellow believer is wrong about, but it's a disputable matter, you remember that God still accepts him and her, and you begin to look out for them more than you look out for yourself. 
Friends, this is what makes us different than the world around us, is that we do this. We say, hey, I'm more about you than I am about me. What can I do to make you feel comfortable in this journey we're in? How can I accommodate you, even though I know that technically you're wrong, yet because you matter so much to me, because my faith matters so much to me, because God's grace is so dear to me, then I want to defer to you. Church, we've got to to grow beyond the idea that being right is the same as being good. They're two different things. That's why the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, listen carefully. Now about food sacrificed to idols, same subject. We know that we all possess knowledge. Knowledge puffs up. Love builds up. And the man who thinks he knows something does not yet know as he ought to know. In other words, if he's so sure that he's right, that he's unwilling to make space for his brother who may be wrong, he's missing it. But the man who loves God is known by God. You know, just to kind of to wrap this up as we turn into the home stretch here this morning, what we want to understand is that our Father is more concerned about us being other-centered in His family than being right about stuff. He calls us to be other-centered. You know, I think I've shared this story before, so be patient with me. But when our son was about three years old, we saw him for the first time begin to become other-centered. Here's how it happened. Uh, we, we lived out in the country, and our, our, our home was heated with a big potbelly wood stove in the, in, the, in the living room area. It was an older home. And, and uh, so, you know, we had a toddler, and we taught him. He said, hey, don't touch the fire or the potbelly stove. It's hot. Stay away from it. Don't get near it. Blah, blah, blah. Well, Isaiah, being three years old, he's got to find out for himself. He's got to touch everything, right? And so one, one morning, he went, and he put his little finger on the stove, and oh, burned, big blister, tears dry crying. It was awful, right? We get through that experience and, um, you know, he begins to recover from it. And then we noticed that he had a new behavior. Whenever somebody would come to our house to visit, it didn't even matter who it was, the postman, the neighbors, the friends or whatever. Whenever anybody would come into the house, Isaiah, little three-year-old Isaiah, would run over to him and he'd point at the stove and he'd go, hot, hot. It's hot, you know, and he would, he would make sure everybody knew, you know, he'd like tell you 10 times, it's hot, right? What was beautiful about it, though, was he was becoming other-centered. He was starting to think about people other than himself. That's what God calls us to when it comes to these disagreements that very naturally occur. Every mom thinks his or her kids are special despite their flaws, and she's right. God wants us to see each other as believers the same way because of our shared faith in this man, Jesus. And and we really can't please him if we don't. This whole discussion in Romans 14 and 1 Corinthians 8 reveals what God is looking for in me, my willingness to accept others in Christ above every lesser thing. I remember um, 20 years ago or so, some of you will remember as well something called Y2K. Do you remember this? It was kind of like now in that the news was telling us the sky was falling every day and all the computers were going to stop working uh, on midnight of December 31st, 1999 because of problems with code and your water wasn't going to pump and your car wasn't going to work, blah, 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 blah. Computers were going to blow up the head. I mean, people were in a lather. 
And at the time, we were pastoring in, in northern Idaho where there's a few people who are a little different in some ways, right? And uh, some of them were like, Pastor, we got to build bunkers and stock them and get ready for the end of the world. It's coming, you know? And I said, guys, it, maybe it is coming, but that's not what God calls us to do, you know? And, and then there were other people who couldn't believe that some people were thinking of building bunkers. And there was real tension there. They came to me, Pastor, what's right? And I said, guys, whatever you think about these things, the important thing is that you accept and love one another. I said, that's the most important thing. Whatever you think you're doing, uh, if it's more important than that, you're missing the point. And, you know, I'm thrilled to say that our church got through that. We prayed our way through it. We promised each other that if everything stopped working, we'd meet down at the church and serve each other and serve our community and, and be Christians. That's what God is talking about here in Romans chapter 14. And, and, and friends, this is a big deal. You know, right now, I hear chatter sometimes where people say, well, such and such a church isn't even meeting. They must not really love God. They're just online. They're not willing to worship. And then I hear other people saying, I can't believe that any churches are meeting right now. In our Assemblies of God tradition, there's a, there's a great disagreement among churches. There are many leading and prominent churches in our movement in Washington that haven't met since March. And there are other groups that are, are just, uh, you know, meeting without any care or concern at all. And then there are many like us that are trying to be as obedient as we can, but recognizing that we can't not worship. And, and there's all these colors. And, and here's the thing. The temptation is always to look down your nose. You know, some of the churches that are meeting saying, well, the churches that aren't meeting are disobeying God completely missing the fact that those churches aren't meeting because of their conviction that's the best thing they can do to serve and care for their community and preach the gospel. And then some of the churches that are not meeting say, I can't believe the churches are meeting are so irresponsible that they gather together and all this. Well, they don't understand that what we're doing is we're doing out of our conviction. But what God says is, hey, however you approach this, don't judge each other, accept each other. Remember that you have a bigger identity, that there's room in these places for, for disagreements. And it is as we do that that the devil is defeated. It's as we do that that we overcome. So what does that look like practically in our last five minutes together? Let me share this. If you're taking notes, write these down. Five ways to kind of live this out practically real quick. The first one, number one, it's okay to be quiet. It's okay not to say what you think or feel. Somebody say amen. There's ever a word for our time. Paul in verse 22 of, of chapter 14 of Romans says this. So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Somebody say amen. All right. Just because I think it doesn't mean you need to hear me think it. And how we would bless one another if we often kept some of our opinions to ourselves. Right? You know what I'm talking about. Uh, keep those things between yourself and God. It's okay to keep that between yourself and God. As a matter of fact, sometimes it's the best thing you can do for somebody who doesn't understand where you're coming from or for someone who doesn't feel the same way as you about it. I got to tell you, I got a ton of opinions that you will never hear from me because I'm a pastor and my job is to, is to preach and teach what God says and keep my opinions to myself. And sometimes that's true of you as well. So it's okay to be quiet. Whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Number two, think of your brother or your sister first. 
Here's what the scripture says. Make up your mind, verse 13, not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way. Take that in. Instead of saying to yourself, how can I make sure that I get to do what I think I should get to do? As opposed to, how can I make my brother or sister feel safe, secure, comfortable? What can I do to serve them? Friends, becoming other-centered is fundamental to the gospel. And much of what we do, we only do, not because we have some conviction or belief about some particular detail of the issue. It's because we're trying to make others feel safe and secure. We're trying to make others feel comfortable. Make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way. Think first of one another. The third thing, whoops, I'm upside down here. The third thing is, is try, try to see your sister or your brother's heart. Uh, listen to what Paul says again in verse 6. He says, he who regards one day as special does so to the Lord. He who eats meat eats to the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. He who abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. In other words, reverence comes in many forms. Let it. Let it come in many forms. Don't judge. Allow the other person to approach things a little bit differently and try to understand why they are. And the more we do that, the more we please God. The fourth thing, remember what's disputable and what isn't. <laughs> Friends, when we talk about this leaving room for disagreement, we're not talking about basic morality. We're not talking about fundamentally significant truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's not disputable. And a lot of other moral issues aren't. But everything else is. And so let us remember the difference. And then finally, the last thing is to be a we. <laughs> Here's how the Bible puts it, verse 19. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. You know, uh, if Pastor Darius had asked me my opinion before he intervened in the argument between the two guys in the post office, I would have said, well, it'll probably lead to more pieces if you just kind of let sleeping dogs lie on that one, all right? Let us make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Let us think first of each other. Hey, what will make my brother or sister comfortable? You know, when I visit people now, because I sometimes still do, I call Pastor Greg, could you come by? I always come to the door and I say, hey, would you like me to wear a mask? I'll back out when I'm ready to go. But if not, whatever you want. That kind of spirit is what causes us to overcome. That kind of spirit is what, is what pleases our God. Friends, make no mistake, this season we are going through is a test of our faith. It is a test of our hearts. But it's an easy test to pass when we leave room for disagreement, when we prefer one another, and when we set our shared faith above every lesser concern. You know, an amazing thing happens when you leave room for disagreement. Let me finish with a story. Ron and I went to high school together, but when we were in high school, we couldn't stand each other, right? I did not like her at all. She did not like me 
at all. In fact, our dislike for one another was kind of specific <laughs> because she was kind of the establishment, the student body government participant, you know, dated the quarterback, ran with the crowd that was kind of the in crowd. And, and I was the rebellious, outspoken, fight the power guy, you know, the, the radical hippie dude. And she saw me as immature and, and, you know, undisciplined, all of which were absolutely true. We had no love for one another. But about a week and a half after graduation, we found ourselves sitting next to each other at a picnic, and um, we started talking. And the conversation just kept going. And pretty, pretty soon, we were both really into this conversation. And we ended up sitting there all night long talking. The next day, we went on our first date. And in a mind-blowing few months discovered that the person that we thought we had massive disagreements with was actually the person that we were falling in love with and that ended up marrying one another. When we leave space for disagreements, that's the kind of stuff that happens. God's still doing that kind of thing and he wants to do it in us and he wants to do it in you. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Father, we thank you for your word and your call to make space for one another, God, to prefer one another, to love one another, even when we disagree. And we hear your heart in it, Lord. It's a father heart, and we rejoice in that. Show us how to do that, God, in every little thing, week in and week in, out, day in and day out. God, teach us how to bring glory to you and defeat the enemy, we pray. We thank you for speaking to us this morning. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me, friends? A woman came up to me after first service. She said, Pastor Greg, I need to tell you this story. She said, on Christmas Eve, you challenged us to send a text to someone that we had a broken relationship with. The text was just to say Merry Christmas. She said, so I gritted my teeth and I wrestled and I struggled because I knew who God was talking to me about. She said, but I finally, on Christmas Eve, I sent the text, Merry Christmas. She said, at first, I wasn't surprised. Nothing happened. No answer, no response. She said, a couple of days went by and I thought, well, that didn't work. And then she said, I went out to my mailbox and there was a Christmas card from this person and the postmark was Christmas Eve. So she said, wow. So I called and we talked and God's healing our relationship. Yeah, that's what he does. That's what he does. So now may the love of God the Father, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship of his Holy Spirit go with you throughout this week. Go with God, tell someone you love him. Happy New Year, friends.